All right, good morning. Let me welcome you to our first outdoor service. Now the rain got us, but uh, can I tell you a way that you can, uh, and, and welcome to those at home too, we hope that you are um, doing well this morning. Let me, let me say this, if you ever get discouraged by the rain, let me give you a way to, to really appreciate and, and like the rain. Um, so as I was thinking about this this morning, uh, a little bit later, and we're in Matthew chapter five, as we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and a little bit later in Matthew chapter five, Jesus is gonna tell us to love our enemies. And one of the things he's gonna say in terms of loving our enemies, he's gonna say, because don't you know that God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust? In other words, who God is is, is a mercy giver, and the rain is an expression of that. So one of the things every time it rains as believers we should think about is that that's a call for us to love our enemies because God is full of mercy. Every time it rains, remember, God causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust because he's merciful, because he's good. So that's one of the things I try to remember when it rains and I'm thinking, oh man, I'm bummed out. I can't do the thing I want to do to remember this rain is an expression of the mercy of God. It's an expression of the mercy of God for all of us. So friends, we are going to uh, pray now. Let me say this because we've changed time. So you found your way here. That's awesome. There may be some of you in the lobby. If you can hear me, I'm gonna pray. You can sneak in while I'm praying if you were running a little bit late today. No harm, no foul. We're glad you're here. So let me pray and we'll dive into God's word together. And some of you guys can sneak on in if anybody's out there just maybe making their way in. So Lord, we thank you that you have gathered us again. We thank you that even as we talk about the rain being expression of your mercy, we are reminded that your mercies are new every morning. Your word tells us that in Lamentations chapter three. We thank you that your love is steadfast. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us life and breath in you. We live and move and have our being. And you have brought us here, not by accident today. Those of us who believe, those of us who do not believe, it's not accidental that any of us is here today. So we pray that you would give us hearts that are ready to receive. We pray that you would help us to pay attention to that prick of conscience that is from your spirit working in us. We pray that we'd be taught by you, Holy Spirit. And I do pray, Lord, as the one now this morning tasked with bringing your word forward, I pray that you would help me to do so faithfully. And I pray that you would guard my mouth to speak only what is true. And then give us ears to hear and to receive that. We trust, Holy Spirit, that you are now our instructor and will guide us and direct us. And we're eager to receive from you because we love you and we want to grow in the likeness of Jesus. So help us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, so as I was uh, looking at this verse we're gonna look at today, Matthew chapter five, verse nine, I was thinking about when I was a kid and my dad and I, we used to go to the local high school that I was gonna go to when I got older. We used to go to a lot of their football, baseball, and basketball games just all over. I grew up in Dallas, so all over this big city, all over the Metroplex, we would go and we just loved to do that. So he would like, pick me up from elementary school and we might go to an afternoon baseball game. And the thing that always impressed me, the thing that I always thought was so amazing was that my dad didn't have directions written down. This is pre like, you know, GPS on your cell phone, right? So didn't have directions written down, didn't have a map, and somehow always found where we were going. He would drive and find it. I don't know, he'd look for stadium lights, he'd go, there it is. He kind of generally maybe knew where to go. And I remember as a kid thinking, I wanna be like my dad. I love that he can do that. He can like, we're going to, you know, to Euless or to Haltom, or we're going over to Mesquite, or we're going to, these are all towns you don't know. But we would go to all these different places all over Dallas, and I was always amazed that he could find it. I mean, it just amazed me. And I always thought, 
that's like, I want to be like that. I want to, when I grow up, and so like I used to, I started paying attention and thinking I want to know where things are. So when I start driving, I know where they are and I can find them. How many of you, before you could drive, you kind of knew where things were in your town or in your area? Yeah. How many of you were the people who you just, you had no idea how you arrived there, but somebody got you there. And then you started driving and all of a sudden you got lost a whole lot. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So I always remember thinking, I want to be like my dad in that way. Now, as we come to Matthew chapter five, verse nine today, here are the words uh, that we're going to focus on. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons. And we can say daughters too. Sons and daughters of God. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, if you want to be identified as belonging to God, if you want to be like he is, to be a son of God or a daughter of God, is to look like he looks, like the apple didn't fall far from the tree. He's a peacemaker. And so those who are like identified, readily seen as being like him, are also peacemakers, like he's a peacemaker. That's what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God of God. Now, the, it doesn't fit my illustration very well, but the punchline to the under of the story is like fast forward by about 25, maybe 30 years. And we were all in the car together. My mom, my dad, myself, my sister, my wife, we're in the car, we're driving and we were going somewhere that we didn't know where it was. And I said, dad, you got this. I'm always amazed by how you can find anything. You always seem to know where things are. To which my mother then replied, he doesn't have a clue where anything is. He just got lost and you didn't know he was lost. So I don't know who's right. I think my dad pushed back on that. So my mom and my dad, maybe there's a little uh, back and forth there, but she swears that he was just driving around until he happened upon it. But you know what? At five and six years old, I had no idea. I thought my dad was the best navigator ever. All right? And I wanted to be like my dad. So what I want to do for you today is we think about this idea of being peacemaker and that that's what identifies us as being like God, our father. I want to just give you seven ways to identify that you're a peacemaker. Like how can you be a peacemaker? And seven things I want to show you uh, that are in all over the scripture. So we're going to jump around. I mean, there's 20, 30 plus texts we could look at today, but we're just going to look at seven that help elaborate for us on what it means to be a peacemaker so that we would know further what that looks like. All right, so seven things. Here's number one. Number one is a peacemaker seeks peace because of the peace they have been given. Now, keep in mind that when Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, he's saying all of you who identify with Christ, all of you who call yourself Christians, you must be peacemakers. It's not like a, it's a good thing if you are. He's saying you must be a peacemaker. And so the first thing that we see is that a peacemaker seeks peace because of the peace they have been given. Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 19. That's where I wanna point you. And we'll put it up on the screen as well. But recognize this is probably the most famous New Testament text on being a peacemaker and where that comes from. So listen to the words that Paul writes to the Ephesian church when he says, for he himself, talking about Jesus, is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. 
So see a couple things there. The first thing that Paul is doing is he's saying there's these two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, and they're at odds with one another. They do not like each other. And they have both become believers. They've become followers of Jesus. And he's saying you have been made one in Christ Jesus. The dividing wall of hostility that was between you has been taken away, broken down. And he says, how did that happen? It happened through the cross of Jesus. And here's why. What the cross is, everybody who comes, comes to me on level ground. You don't come based upon your merit before the law or under the law or your goodness or your works. You come strictly based on grace through faith, which means no one has a leg up on anyone else. No one can say to someone else, I have an advantage over you in being reconciled to God and in achieving the righteousness which I need to be right with God. He's saying, when he says, he preached peace to you who are far off, that's the Gentiles, and he preached peace to you who were near, he's saying both of you needed to have peace preached to you. No one was able to say, well, I have peace and you don't. He's saying all of you needed the peace that could only be accomplished through God's work on the cross of Jesus. And so he's saying the, that's how the dividing wall between people is broken down. And you know what we can infer from that, friends? The great enemy of peacemaking is, is works-based religion. The great enemy of peacemaking is works-based religion. Because works-based religion, the idea that you get merit by what you do before God, that all that leads to, all it can ever and only lead to, is either a feeling of superiority, which causes you to look down on others who don't do as well as you do. And when that happens, you're not prone to want to make peace with them because you think, well, they need to do better or it leads to a feeling of inferiority and resentment. Well, they're better than I am and I resent them for their whatever and then you feel dejected and lost and it doesn't lead to saying I need to make peace with one another and so we end up fighting one another. The great enemy of peacemaking is, is, is um, merit-based or works-based religion and what Paul is saying is the gospel has done away with all of that. The gospel has put that to death and the way it's done it is by saying, you come to me by grace through faith alone. Now friends, here's, here's the point I wanna make. Those are some side points, but the main point is this, is that one of the great motivations and one of the great reasons we seek to make peace with others is because of the peace God has made with us. And the thing I want you to see is that this text tells us that God initiated peace with us. He initiated it with us. He didn't sit back and wait. And one of the things that Jesus is saying here is not blessed are the peacekeepers, which would be someone who, hey, there's peace and I will keep it, but blessed are the peace what? Makers. In other words, those who when there isn't peace, go and make it. They initiate it. They pursue it. We're gonna see that language a little bit later. To pursue peace is something we're gonna see in the book of Romans. And so the thing, friends, there is that, you know, it, it's easy enough to keep peace. I mean, that has its own challenges, but it's easy enough to keep peace when others are willing to keep it with you. But when there's a fracture, when there's a, when there's a break, when there's someone who's an enemy, when there's someone who attacks you, when there's someone who doesn't want peace with you, to be a peacemaker is to, is to, is to work towards peace. You with me? Does that make sense? And the thing that we have to keep constantly in our minds is preach the gospel to yourself again and again. You were his enemy and he sought peace with you. He initiated the peace. He didn't wait for you to come to him and say, I, I need to make peace with you, God. He came and made peace with you. And the greatest sort of miracle and the stunner of this is that he didn't just say, 
you are my enemy and I will make peace with you. He said, you are my enemy and I will make you my child. And that should inform the level of peacemaking, the great lengths to which we should be willing to go to make peace. When we see that the length to which he went was not just say, you're an enemy and I'll say, we can have peace, but kind of live separated and, and you know what I mean? Like we can have a degree of peace, I won't attack you. He said, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make peace with you and in making peace, I'm gonna make you my child. So from enemy to child, that's the great lengths of peacemaking that we are to go to, to, to seek out that kind of resolution with one another. So a peacemaker seeks peace because of the peace they've been given. Now, guard yourself against merit-based thinking when it comes, guard yourself against letting go of the gospel. Like Paul says in the book of Galatians, when he's talking to the Galatians who have been kind of fooled into trying to add some works into the grace of God and say, well, we're actually justified by God with what we believe, but then also what we do. And he just, he says to the Galatians, foolishness. Who is deceiving you? Don't give in to that way of thinking. Friends, don't give in to the way of thinking that you earn merit before God based upon your works. Don't give in to that. It will lead to a lack of ability to keep peace because it is the enemy. Merit-based religion is the enemy of peace. That's the first thing. We seek peace because of the peace we've been given with God. The second thing that we learn about being a peacemaker is that a peacemaker is motivated by a desire to grow in righteousness. A peacemaker is motivated by a desire to grow in righteousness. You already remember that earlier in Matthew chapter five, I say you already remember, if you've been with us in this series, you'll remember that one of the things Jesus said is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Anybody? Righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So one of the things we've already seen is that Jesus said to us, a true follower of mine is someone who longs to be righteous. Now look at what James chapter three says verse 17 and 18, says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And we've looked at this text before to elaborate on some of the other Beatitudes. But look at what comes next. He's talking about what wisdom looks like in verse 17. Now look at what's next in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in what? Peace by those who make peace. So, we've already heard, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now what has he just told us? If you want righteousness, a harvest of righteousness, you have to sow what? Peace. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. Here's what he's saying. If you, if you want to harvest wheat, what do you need to sow? Wheat seed, right? Like if you want to harvest corn, what do you plant, what do you sow? Corn seed, yes, absolutely. He doesn't say, if you want to harvest righteousness, sow the seeds of righteousness. He goes further and elaborates on what a seed of righteousness is. And he says, if you want to grow in righteousness, then sow peace. How do I sow peace? What does he say? By those who make peace. So seek out peace. Wherever there's not peace, if you're at strife with someone, if you are fighting with someone, if you need forgiveness from someone or they need forgiveness from you, seek them out. Go at... As, as with every ounce of energy you can find and at every turn that, it's, that you can, seek peace and you will grow in righteousness. Now the opposite of that is you forfeit opportunity to grow in righteousness if you don't sow peace. 
Now again, there are other ways to grow in righteousness. That's not the only way, but one, one way here, very clearly in this text, is sow peace. And if you do that, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. So friends, I just wanna say to you, go after making peace and you will grow in righteousness. Don't forfeit that opportunity. Let that be a motivation to you. I wanna be like Jesus. I wanna grow in his righteousness. Well, then I better be making peace. Everybody with me? That's number two. Number three, a peacemaker knows making peace is wise, even though it makes them vulnerable. A peacemaker knows that making peace is wise, even though it makes them vulnerable. So just stay in that James chapter. James chapter three, 17 and 18. What did we see? He says, the wisdom of God is, is pure and peaceable. He describes it. And then he says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace. Now, here's what he's done. He has not stopped describing. When he gets to verse 18, he didn't describe wisdom in verse 17 and then stop describing it in verse 18. He's still describing what wisdom looks like. And so when he says the wisdom of God is like this, in verse 18, the continuation of that thought is, if you sow peace, you are wise. If you sow peace, then you are truly, in God's eyes, you are wise. It is wise to sow peace. Now here's why I tell you that. Because there's often a costliness to sowing peace. There are times where you will go to offer peace and to seek it out and the person with whom you seek it will only attack you in return. You cannot, I cannot promise you, you can't walk in here and say, Pastor Trent said, if I seek peace, everything will always be good. Sometimes you will seek peace and it will not be responded to with a, with a reciprocated peace. Sometimes it will be responded to with an attack. Do you know that even when that happens, it was still wise for you to seek that peace? It didn't stop being wise. Because what you're gonna be tempted to do is to go, well, that happened, I'm not doing that again. And I just wanna say to you, when that happens, you were still wise to seek out that peace. It still honored God. Because listen to Colossians chapter one, verse 20. Now we could just go back to what we already said in Ephesians about the cross but let me just put it for you in one sentence, in one verse, Colossians 1.20. And through him, Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, he's talking about God reconciling the world through Jesus. Then he says, making peace by what? By the blood of his cross. In other words, how did God make peace with us? Through sacrifice through the blood of Jesus. It was costly for him to make peace. In other words, when Jesus came to make peace, he wasn't responded to with, awesome, thank you for that peace, and we'll reciprocate that peace. No, he was crushed. He was crucified. He was destroyed. And when that happened, that's how peace was purchased. And so when we go to make peace, and that peace is not reciprocated with us, it was still wise for us to do it, and we bear the marks of Jesus in doing it. You with me? Set your expectations accordingly. I cannot promise you that when you are a peacemaker that you will have peace returned to you, but I can promise you that you will be called a son or daughter of God. I can promise you that. Now the fourth thing that we see about a peacemaker is that a peacemaker doesn't expect people in the world to seek peace with them even when they know they must seek peace with them. So followers of Jesus know that we must seek peace with people in the world even when they don't seek peace with us. Now, just in case up to this point, most of what we've been dealing with and thinking about is making peace with each other. 
within the body and the importance of that and the need to do that. And often that is the type of peace that the scriptures talk about, regularly talking about, no, be unified. I mean, one of my, I consider one of my great privileges and missions as your pastor is both the point is towards truth and righteousness, which is so deeply important, but also to try to guard the unity of the body and to urge you to guard the unity of the body and to not divide quickly because it's so critical for the mission of Jesus. So critical. I mean, remember John chapter 17 and the high priestly prayer of Jesus? What did he say? He said, Father, make them one and not just these that are sitting right here, those who will believe in me after them. That's you and I. He says in John 17, 21, Make them one like you and I are one so that the world may know that you sent me. In other words, our unity together is a big deal. It's a big deal. Peacemaking with one another is a big deal. And I I don't think I can overstate it. (laughs) What a big deal it is. And this has been a divisive time, yes? I cannot overstate for you how deeply important guarding the unity of the body is. It's mission critical for the gospel. I just want to urge you to see that. I feel like I spend so much time trying to, just wanting you to see it so badly. So here, listen to what happens in Romans, okay? Because let me return to my, my point here. The point is that we don't expect the world to seek peace with us, even while we know we have to seek peace Not with the world, but people in the world. Not the world in its unrighteousness, but people in the world. So listen to what, in Romans chapter three, just by way of setting expectations, Romans three, verse 17 through 18. Now at some point, we're gonna go through the book of Romans. It's probably gonna take us two years to do it. Right, it's so deep, it's so complex, it's so rich. We're gonna do it, and when we do it, it's gonna take a long while, right? But let me just give you a little preview, because in Romans chapter one, Paul says, Gentiles, those who are not Jews, you are lost in sin. And then in chapter two, he says, hey, Jews, in case, you're, in case you thought, ha ha, yeah, that's right. You're also lost in sin. Let me tell you that. And then in chapter three, you know what he does? Hey, just in case y'all didn't get that, let me repeat, everybody is lost in sin. That's the first three chapters of Romans in a nutshell. And in verses 17 and 18 of chapter three, as he's arguing for this idea that everybody is has not sought righteousness, has not gone after God, is in need of the grace of God in Jesus. As he's making that point, this is what he says in verse 17 and 18. Talking about those outside of Christ, those who don't know him. He says, the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, he's saying the natural inclination of human beings is not to seek peace. Why? Because We don't naturally fear God. But when we fear him and come to him, he changes our perspective. When we fear him, we become peacemakers, people who seek out peace. But friends, we should not expect those who are not in the fear of God because of their love for Jesus. We don't expect them to be peacemakers. There may be examples of people outside of Christ who certainly do try to make peace, but that is not the natural inclination of people outside of Jesus. And so we set our expectations accordingly. But now listen, let's go forward a little bit in Romans to chapter 12. And let's look at what he says in verse 17 through 21. Because we might think, okay, if they're not gonna be peacemakers, the world around us, then perhaps we don't need to seek peace with them. But look what he says in verse, chapter 12, verse 17. 21. Repay no one evil for evil. 
but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now he's saying there, all injustice, injustice will be dealt with, just not by you. God will deal with it. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And as you'll bring conviction, perhaps leading to repentance. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The command I want you to see there is, the command is live peaceably with all as far as it depends on you. Now that's more reactive, right? If you can keep peace, then, then keep peace. If you can make peace, make peace. You can't always expect that it will be returned and reciprocated. That's the idea. But then he goes further to explain what living peaceably looks like. Because you and I might read that and we might go, okay, I just won't like attack that person. But what did he say? Live peaceably at all. And then how did he, how did he demonstrate that? On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If your enemy is thirsty, give him something to drink. In other words, actively seeking to do good to someone who's actively seeking to harm you is the mark of a peacemaker. That's what it means to live peaceably with all, best you can. So that's the lesson number four. Number five, a peacemaker is willing to sacrifice having their way in order to have peace with other Christians. Now this is within the household of faith now. A peacemaker is willing to sacrifice having their own way in order to have peace with other Christians. Look at Romans chapter 14. So we're still in Romans. It's like we're preaching through Romans now. We're good. Listen to what verse 13 through 19 say. Now, let me give you the context before we go into it. Context here is that there is food that some believers are saying, hey, that used to be sort of forbidden according to Jewish law, but we believe we can eat that. And now in Christ, we have faith that we can eat that and we think it's okay. And there's another group of believers that are saying, no, that's not okay. And they're at odds with each other, right? And so those who are saying it's not okay or accusing those who are eating of doing something wrong and those who are uh, eating are probably saying, you know, you need to sort of accept that this is okay. And when Paul talks about it, he actually sides with those who are eating. He says, there's, there's, you can eat that. It's okay, but then he gives them some instructions. So I just want you to hear this. Look at what he says. Therefore, let, no, let, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brothers grieve by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard of good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now listen, here comes the key. So then let us pursue what makes for what church? Peace and for mutual building. 
So what has he just taught us about peace? Two takeaways here. Now this text is so um, you know, intricate that we could, we could spend our whole time on it and we will at some point come back to it. But here's the two takeaways I want you to have today as it relates to this. The first takeaway is that it's very possible for people who are both following Christ faithfully to differ on something that's pretty significant. That's the first thing that you need to see here. Now listen, friends, I understand we should never approve as, as righteous something God condemns. We shouldn't say, oh, this is good and right when God has said it's not good and right. And there's a place for dissecting that, thinking about that. But we also need to understand that we sometimes are prone to saying all believers must think this way about this thing when God has said, no, actually there's room to differ. That's at least one of the lessons that Romans 14 is teaching us. There is room to eat, to not eat. He doesn't condemn either one. He actually sides with those who are eating, with those who have more faith to sort of engage uh, with certain things that others kind of feel like is, is out of bounds. He actually confirms that they're right to do that. But then here's the key. So he's saying, it's okay. Like, you can differ on this. And friends, I just want to urge you, um, I, I want to urge you to really consider in terms of guarding the unity of the body, before you start accusing one another of doing something that's contrary to the truth, to think long and hard about that. Because it's possible for believers to differ on important subjects, and, to, and, and that's okay. And if you don't have that perspective, here's the other thing about that. What's interesting is the weaker brother in this text is the one who's not willing to sort of engage with this stuff. That's the weaker brother. But the great irony is often the person who spends more time saying you're out of bounds, they're the weaker brother and they don't know it. Most of the time when we're the weaker brother, we think the other person is the weaker brother. So just be aware and be willing. It's not wrong to be the weaker brother, by the way. He doesn't condemn that weaker brother. He just says, but they are the weaker one. Now, here's the, now let's flip that. So the urging, the first takeaway is do not be quick to say, if the scripture's not clear about it, if the scriptures don't condemn, then don't be quick to say that this person is outside the faith or they are off the reservation or they're going to the wrong place because they might be walking in a freedom that Christ has allowed to differ from you. That's important. Now the second thing, the second thing is for those of you who perhaps feel the freedom to engage with a subject or, um, you know, I mean, again, there's lots of different applications of this idea of food, right? For those of you who feel that freedom, what is the instruction to you in this text? If it harms your brother, stop. If you're doing it or engaging with it, causes them to stumble or to struggle, don't do it. Be willing to lay down your right. He's not saying you're wrong to have engaged with it, but he's saying if it hurts the, the brother, now it's become wrong. If it hurts them, it's now become wrong. And so you willingly lay down something you have the freedom to partake of in order to bless your brother or sister. You lay it down. You don't cling to it and say, this, no, this is so important to me. You can't limit my freedom. If it causes the brother to stumble, you lay it down. Now, again, like I said, there's a lot of complexity here, but those two things I at least want you to take away. Fair enough? We can differ, and we gotta be willing to lay it down. Number six. I'm on number six, right? Awesome. Good, I kept track. Peacemaker is not quick to dissolve unity. 
Now we just said we, we recognize the ability to differ, right? But we're all we're willing to lay down our rights for this good of a brother. But look at this in Ephesians 4, 3. And we've talked about this one a good bit in this season because I, I think, again, it's about unity and it's such a necessary, I mean, we gotta memorize it and hold it close to our hearts and just like, just pound it in, right? Ephesians 4, 3 says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Now what he's saying there is, this, it's, this is the spirit's unity that he gives to us because we have the spirit, yes? Amen, praise God, we have the spirit of God, he dwells in us and he gives us a unity with one another and that unity is forged in the bond of peace which is a reference back to chapter two in Ephesians that we read earlier, that Christ has come and proclaimed peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. And he's saying you've been given peace with God through Christ. That's the bond of peace that you have with one another then. Peace with him, therefore peace with one another. Now, in that bond of peace, be eager to maintain unity. Be eager to maintain unity. What that means, at the very least, is don't be quick to dissolve it. Don't be, there are times, friends, I know, there are times where believers will rightly separate. There's times to leave a church, perhaps. There's times to say we can't be in fellowship. But can I just tell you, I think those times are way fewer and further between than we think they are. Way fewer and further between. We should labor before we would leave or break fellowship. We should, we should seek not to dissolve unity, but be eager to maintain it. And again, friends, there, that word eager is really key, isn't it? He doesn't say, be resigned to, to maintain unity. Be eager. Why? Because it's a declaration of the peace that you have with God. If we can't be at peace with one another and maintain the unity that we have in that bond of peace, what testimony is that to the kind of peace we've been given? What does it say about the kind of peace we have been given with God? It says that it's cheap and unlasting. That's what it says. But when we are eager to maintain unity and we fight for it and we listen long and hard and we seek one another out and try to assume the best of one another and trust each other, when we do that, it speaks volumes about the kind of peace that you can have. Just talk to a friend who's not a believer. I mean, just talk to a neighbor. And what, one of the things you will be very quick to hear is how believers backbite one another as one of the reasons why they don't believe. It won't take long for them to point out. They, many of them grew up in church somewhere and they saw all these factions and divisions and they saw people behaving not in love towards one another and they just went, then this isn't true. Then this gospel that they talk about is fake. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Don't be quick to dissolve it. Peacemakers are people who fight hard for unity. They fight hard not to see things dissolve with other believers. Number seven, a peacemaker doesn't speak poorly of others even when they are spoken poorly of. One of the great, most practical things when it comes to being a peacemaker is learning to shut your mouth. Stop talking. How many of you are talkers like me? Yep, preaching to you guys, all right? Those of you who are less talkative, can you just teach us how? Can you show us how, right? Like to no one's surprise, like I'm somewhat verbose, right? I'm kind of a talker. 
But friends, we have to learn to shut our mouths. Listen to what this, listen to what 1 Peter says. Chapter three, verses nine through 12. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now that word reviling means don't talk nasty about someone even when they've talked nasty about you, when they have said disparaging things about you. By the way, can we make the assumption that he's also saying don't be the first one to say the reviling thing? Fair enough, right? Don't be the first one to say it and don't return it when, it's, when you're talked about. A peacemaker doesn't do that. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Now there's a good promise, yes, do you see it? If you don't return bad words for bad words spoken against you, what will you obtain? A blessing. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, for whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him, here it comes, seek peace and pursue it. In other words, is that just waiting for peace? No, seek it, pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And when it says that, it doesn't mean he just like sees you. It means that he is for you. When it says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, it means he is for them. They have his favor. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So see the promise there. There's a promise of blessing. There's a promise of the Lord's favor on you if you will be a peacemaker, if you will seek peace and pursue it. And the first of those blessings is you will be known as a son or daughter of God. But friends, don't return reviling for reviling. Guarding your words is one of the most important parts of making peace. And look, I know this is hard. One of the things, one of the reasons we are quick to talk and we justify it is because we're actually, what you're doing when somebody says something about you and then you say something in return about them, what you're doing usually is trying to be justified before another person. You're trying to say, but um, let me explain what's really going on. And in seeking to be justified in front of another person so that they don't think that this is true of you, if you revile that other person in return, that's one thing to speak what is actually true about a situation, say, no, no, actually what's true is this, but guard yourself from then attacking that other person. And usually what you're doing when you attack that other person is wanting to sort of garner people to your side of an argument. And as you do that, as you speak ill in trying to justify yourself before people, guess what you're doing before the Lord? You are putting yourself outside of his blessing and outside of his favor. The Lord knows the truth. Isn't it hard to remember that? when you want to say something bad about somebody else because they said something bad about you, it helps us to remember the Lord already knows. He knows what's true of me and he knows what's true of them and I stand or fall before him. I wanna be right before him. I'm not worried about the opinions of others. Remember our blessing, blessed are the meek those who are gentle and humble because they've ceased to care what the world or others think about them. They know they are before the Lord. So, friends here, those are our seven things. And, and I, again, there's, we could go on to 20, 25 of those. But do we have a sense of what a peacemaker looks like? 
That's our, that's our aim today, to know what a peacemaker looks like, that we might then walk in that. Now, here's, here's what I know is sitting kind of in your minds, is what you want me to do for you today is you want me to tell you where the limits of peacemaking are. You want me to say, you need to make peace until then, and then you can break, you can move apart, you can no longer seek unity. And friends, at other times and other days, there's, there are other texts that speak to that. When do believers divide? How does that happen? When does it look like? Yeah, that, that exists and it's real. But the word for today is not where are the limits. The word for today is blessed are the peacemakers. I'm not gonna give you the limits. You just focus on blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be sons of God. And what a treasure it is to be known as a son or daughter of the king of kings. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you for its breadth. We thank you for its depth. We thank you that there is nothing which it is not sufficient to address in our lives. And so you've taught us today about being peacemakers, Lord, and I pray that your word would just sit in our hearts. And even as we saw that we, in seeking peace, we produce a harvest of righteousness, we know also that your word produces a harvest of righteousness. And so we pray that you plant it in us so that we might walk in the power of it and in obedience to it. And now, Jesus, we pray that you would receive praise from us, even having heard that we'll need to leave this place and seek peace with others where it doesn't exist now. We begin to commit ourselves to do that by singing your praises. It's when we sing to you now, Lord, what we're saying is your word is right. Your word is right. That's what we declare as we sing your praises. So would you receive them in your grace towards us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.